The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at romanschapter5 at comcast.net. Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 20, On Ethics, Part 3, The Origin of the Ought. Ethics is concerned with addressing the question, how should I act? To address this question, then, it is important for us to understand what it means to act. Once again, I turn our attention to rationality to address the nature of human action. We made the case that human beings stand outside nature in a certain fashion. And I would like to suggest here that there is a distinction to be made between reaction and action and that this too is a function of human rationality. Reaction is that which occurs according to natural patterns and is, thus, predictable. The paradigm of reaction is chemistry. Add one chemical to another, and the same reaction will occur every time you do it. It is this very predictability that enables human beings and animals to live effectively in the world. Water freezes and boils at predictable temperatures. Animal behavior, though more complex, is still predictable, as it is governed by instinct. For the most part, two different animals of the same type will react in a predictable way given the same conditions. This is the nature of reaction. It is automatic, predictable, law-driven, and is in many ways exactly what we mean by the term natural. Science seeks to discover, articulate, and define these predictable patterns. Action, though, is quite different. A non-human animal, indeed nature itself, does not act, but only reacts. Action, then, is a human term. How must we understand the difference between action and reaction? First, we should note that while animals do not act, humans do react. That is, we share the fundamental natural reactivity of the animal kingdom. When we touch a hot object, we involuntarily jerk our hand away. When frightened, our heartbeats surge, and adrenaline floods our system, without thought or choice on our part. The psychological notion of fight or flight is not something we choose to engage, but comes to us naturally, instinctively. We share, that is, the natural reactivity of the animal kingdom. Reaction is best conceptualized as a chain of cause and effect, a mechanistic line of life that is determined by the circumstances to which an animal is exposed. Action, however, violates this deterministic chain of cause and effect, stepping outside the natural, giving rise to the term artificial. Why do we call a beaver's dam natural, but the Empire State Building artificial? Why is sugar natural, but aspartame artificial? There is nothing in the material composition of either of these examples that does not come from nature. The difference, therefore, is not material, but something in the action of human beings upon the natural world. Thus our linguistic practice teaches us that human activity differs from the natural, causal, 
deterministic world around us. Exactly how it violates the natural world is our topic this week. Once again, we find that human rationality is the origin of the difference. If the natural stream of experience for animals is mechanistic, a chain of cause and effect, of reaction, then action steps outside that chain of cause and effect. This is another way of saying that human beings are free, not determined. Causality must be ruptured in order for this to be true. Cause must be separated from its effect. We have already discussed the means by which this is accomplished within the structure of rationality. The first step is the critical refusal of simple acceptance of the present, of here and now, to problematize the present. Yuck, that water is dirty, however, is not just a reaction of the present, but at the same time a future project of an alternative solution. We reject our natural present instinct to drink in favor of a future indeterminacy framed as the resolution of that thirst. We are, then, in reflection, aware of our self as object in the world. While a dog is thirst in the presence of water, we view self as separate from thirst, separate from presence to water, an object among other objects. Because we are reflective, self-conscious, we can be concerned for our objective well-being, allowing us to question, to problematize the present, to critically deny it. But this still lacks the fundamental aspect of motivation, tendentiousness. We deny the present, question it in order to resolve the problem, answer the question, in a way that is not given to us in the present, the here now. In effect, human rationality, combining our abilities to be critical, reflective, and tendentious, creates for us a bubble of possibility, a project populated with future possible resolutions to the structured negation of the present problem. I do not drink the dirty water because I find it yucky to do so. And I present a future self, project a possible self, whose thirst problem is resolved in another way. This bubble of possibility allows us to separate the present cause, our action, from its future effect by allowing another unique function of human rationality, imagination, to craft future solutions, a value hierarchy. It is choice that breaks the causal chain, separating present cause from future effect by evaluating and deciding between possibles which to realize. Animals don't choose which effect follows the cause, because there are no possible effects to reaction, only determined effects. If there is no choice, there is no rupture in causality. Human action thus allows us to step outside the causal chain, initiating through a choice of possibles a new causal chain. Thus, cause and effect with human beings becomes mediated by rationality into a free choice, a new configuration of the natural order, giving rise to the unnatural, the supranatural, the artificial. To act, then, 
requires the structures of rationality that are characteristic only of human beings. Action ruptures nature's deterministic causal chain. We should note that while we call human action free, this does not mean that it is unconditioned or unconstrained. First, possibility is motivated by real causal factors, providing a framework within which we conceptualize future possibles. When I experience thirst at the dirty puddle, it is my thirst in this neighborhood, the complex present here now, that motivates my tendentious search for a resolution. I am constrained by time, location, money, presence to transportation, etc. The problem, too, is real, constraining imagination in solving it. That is, imaginative versus real possibility. Imagination is free to present possibles that cannot be realized. We cannot, for instance, change the past in order to alter the future, though we can imagine doing so as a possibility. And we can even choose an impossible future. This is, in fact, the very essence of post-Hegelian socialism. We just can't realize it. I might imagine myself entering a time machine to slip a Coke into my pocket as I am leaving for my walk. While this is a solution to the problem, it is not, at least currently, a real possible. Time's directionality thus constitutes a constraint on my attempt to resolve a problem. Morality is predicated on our ability to act. Action is, though, not just a choice of a future from a field of possibles, but also the process of realization, a willing of the means to achieve the chosen end and of the concrete motive force to apply those means to achieve that end. This is the project, the project. We throw ourselves forward into the future, working in the present to make that future self real. Rationality, again, is the profound basis of difference between animals and humans, the basis for our being ethical creatures. Choosing from a field of possibles means we evaluate them, deciding which is the best or the right course of action. And because we have a self, a having chosen, we can be accountable for our choices, see ourselves and others as the origin of causal chains, as responsible agents. Choosing to act, then, as rational agents means that reason commends choice on the basis of value, as reason imagines possibles, evaluates them, orders them into a value hierarchy, and allows a choice among them. Rationality, by evaluating possibles, opens the space for diversity of will, of choice, and choosing prescribes what follows, like a logical chain in order to arrive at the chosen end. Reason thus both makes possible, motivates and commends action, a much more detailed understanding of tendentiousness as a component of rationality. Immanuel Kant divided rational choice of action into two separate imperatives, or demands made on us by reason. One, hypothetical imperatives, and two, Categorical imperatives. A hypothetical imperative is when reason determines what should be done 
if you want to achieve a particular result. This is represented by the example of dirty water above. If I want to quench my thirst with a drink that is not dirty, then I should, for instance, buy a slushie at the corner store. The answer to this hypothetical imperative depends upon which choice I make, and the options offered by reason can be varied, and reason is, in some sense, indifferent to the choice. If I want to quench my thirst by going home, then reason dictates a different action, a different direction. When I choose the end, reason dictates the means, the action best suited to achieve it. Reason is indifferent to which choice is made in a hypothetical imperative. It simply directs what course of action to pursue in order to achieve it. The categorical imperative, however, is a moral imperative, an ought. Reason is not indifferent as to the choice of means, of action, in a categorical imperative. Instead, it dictates what must be done, what is morally right, even though it cannot dictate what will be chosen, and even if it lacks understanding of what is right in any given situation. It is here that we will pick up this discussion next week. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.